Thank you very much, uh, Eugene, for leading today. And thank you, uh, where's Jan? Thank you, Jan, for singing. Um, you may have noticed that uh, we have the uh, young ones uh, leading today. And so if you feel old, uh, you're not alone. But we give thanks for whatever season in life that God has uh, brought us to. So it's the month of June. And if you have been with us in ARPC for some time, you would have noticed that it is usually the time of the year when we uh, preach a topical message series from the pulpit. And uh, four weekends addressing issues that matter, issues that are of importance. And today, we shall begin with a message entitled, Youth Matters. That's why we have the youth today. Now, there is a saying that youth is wasted on the young. Why so? Well, youth, I am sure you will agree, is the most enviable season in life. It is the season of thick hair, of stylish clothing. It is the season of pink health. It is the season of humongous appetite. Youth is the most enviable season because when one reaches my age, uh, for instance, uh, you would have been married and uh, my wife would not let me wear a pair of mustard-colored jeans. If my test, if you are at my age, yes, you could still finish a whole pizza, but not without popping some antacids after. When you get to my age, you may have the money, you may have the cash to buy expensive rubber shoes, but you will no longer be able to run sprints. But if you are in your youth, nothing seems impossible to you. And yet, why do they say that youth is wasted on the young. Well, it is because youth is a season of vulnerability. Vulnerability. If every industry wants to get a big share of the youth market, the music and film industry, the fashion industry, the food and beverage industry, sports, if every industry wants to capitalize on the youth, you bet that the enemy, the devil, will want to have also a big slice in this season of vulnerability, in this season where immaturity, immaturity, the lack of wisdom, may render one an easy prey to the adversary, to the enemy, and thus destroy and waste away the prime season of life. But youth need not be wasted on the young. This is not God's intended outcome for this prime season in life. And so, in His design, God wants the youth to acquire wisdom and not waste this season away. God has given His Word. For instance, in Proverbs, first slide comes up, in order to attain wisdom and discipline for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. So how not to waste one's prime season away? Well, it is to gather wisdom. It is to embrace prudence. It is to listen to discretion. And one way to do that is to read, is to listen, is to remember. Proverbs, 
Proverbs because the collection of Proverbs is, interestingly, primarily written to the youth. And so here is wisdom in the form of sayings, in the form of admonitions, in the form of stories, in the form of parental exhortations in many different forms so that one cannot find it not appealing. So for today, look at Proverbs chapter 7. The writer exhorts his son, and he says, slide, next slide, My son, keep my words and store up my commands within you. Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teachings as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So the writer plays the role of the father and he addresses his son. The writer presses the son to hold on to his dad's words, to his dad's teachings, to his dad's commands. The son is called on to embrace parental instruction because that's what our parents do. What our parents teach us from young is our first initiation to wisdom. And this initiation to wisdom looked like this for Israel. Next slide. Moses tells the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 to 9, These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So the initiation to wisdom for the young Israelite begins at their young age when the fathers teach God's commands and God's laws to the young ones. And the commands are taught in what way? In an impromptu way. It is when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. I don't think that they are taught as part of a rigid program. Say the father says, okay, today is day six. We, son, sit down. Daughter, sit down. We shall study the eighth commandment, which is do not steal. I don't think so. Rather, the father's teachings must have come in the form of a, of a proverb. For instance, the dad tells his child, Son, do you know why dad does not sell grain mixed with dust? And then the, and then the son asks, uh, uh, Why dad? Because everybody else is doing it. The father would now say, Because the Lord detests differing weights, and dishonest scales do not please him. And so this example of an impromptu teaching takes place while the son is helping the father thresh the crop. And that is one characteristic of Proverbs, friends. The foundational lessons in Proverbs derive their source from God's laws and commands. And in this instance, from the Eighth Commandment, which is, you shall not steal. And so the child's first initiation to wisdom occurs through parental teachings when parents teach children God's laws through different methods, instructing them the laws themselves and also modeling for them life. And so let me talk to the parents. Parents, 
you begin teaching God's laws and commands to your children at a young age, but you never stop teaching them, even as they reach their season of youth, even as they reach their season of young adulthood, because you continue to teach them by modeling your life for them. And then as children grow to reach their prime season, the father now moves to give marital advice. Next slide. Proverbs 7, verses 4 to 5. He says to the son, Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call understanding your kinsman. They will keep you from the adulteress, from the wayward wife with her seductive words. You see, Proverbs employ the use of personification, giving human attributes to the inanimate, to inanimate objects. So wisdom here is personified as a woman, as a bride. The term sister is not one's biological sister. It is rather a term used for a bride. And you will see when you read the Songs of Songs, for instance, that the words sister and bride are used interchangeably. So why does the father give marital advice to the son, to the young one? Well, because the grown-up is now in a marriageable season in life. It is the season when hormones are raging. And so the girl that, to whom he used to say, you, is now the girl that makes him blush. That is the season which is called the marriageable season, the season when hormones are raging. And so parental exhortation now comes in the form of a marital advice. You could call it a courting or a courtship advice. And in the rest of Proverbs chapter 7, which Eugene read for us, is a story to show us the makings of an affair. The makings of an affair. We are told that a youth lacking judgment listens to the call of the woman dressed seductively, telling him that her husband is away, inviting him to drink with her, inviting him to enjoy each other. But the moment the young man steps into her house, that is death for him. So every time I read Proverbs chapter 7, because I preach a lot from Proverbs uh, to the students in the school, every time I read chapter 7, I read this and I am reminded of a 1964 French movie that I accidentally watched on TV. There was one evening I couldn't sleep. I switched on the TV. Ooh, black and white. What movie is that? It's a 1964 French movie uh, about a man named Pierre. Pierre was a married man, a well-known writer, and an editor of a literary magazine. Pierre was on board a plane bound for Lisbon, and on the plane, he makes eye contact with Nicole, the beautiful stewardess. You see, it was 1964, and so the term cabin crew has yet to be used. So he looks at Nicole, the beautiful stewardess, Nicole looks at him, Pierre looks at her, and upon landing, Pierre was greeted by photographers who asked for pictures. And the cameraman asked Pierre also to pose with, guess who? With the same flight stewardess. P 
Pierre checks in at the Hotel Tivoli. And as he was leaving to attend a conference, he notices Nicole accompanied by the pilot walking past him. She looks at him and he looks at her again. And when he returns to the hotel that evening after giving a talk, he meets Nicole with the pilot in the elevator carrying lots of shopping bags. The pilot gets off at his floor, leaving Pierre and Nicole alone in the lift. She looks at him and he at her. And so at this point, you would say awkward, just a feeling of awkwardness. Pierre notices her, notices her room number because in those days, keychains are very big. And the room number is printed on the keychain. So when Pierre reaches his room, alone and unable to sleep, he phones Nicole's room. And he apologizes for not helping her carry her shopping bags for her at the lift. Like, seriously? You need to apologize for that? <laughs> and he asks if, he, if she would like a drink. Well, Nicole declines because of the lateness of the hour. But shortly after hanging up, Nicole calls back, apologizes for being rude. Like, seriously? You apologize for being rude? And accepted his invitation for drinks the next day at the hotel bar. And the next evening, Pierre and Nicole spent hours talking through the night. They chatted till the wee hours of the morning. And Nicole shows captivation over the man's popularity and his knowledge of the world of literature. That's just what the man needs. And so they return to the hotel. He walks her to her room, and he walks into her room, following her. And as Proverbs chapter 7, 22 puts it, like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose. So the marital advice is this that the father gives the son. Stay away from the adulteress, or she will bring you to the grave. And in the language and the whole intent of Proverbs, it is actually to say, stay away from folly, from foolishness, and avoid destruction and avoid death. And so the movie actually ends with the wife of Pierre discovering the affair, and she uses his hunting gun and shoots him in the chest. Typical French movie ending. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 7 ends with verses 26 to 27. Many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave, leading down to the chambers of death. And so you listen or you read Proverbs 7 and you say to yourself, you know, as an unmarried youth, who has no immediate plans of getting married because people nowadays are getting married later and later in life, you may read this warning on adultery and you think that it does not apply to you. It does, nevertheless, because it warns against the folly of sexual immorality. So a modern-day proverbial story would tell something like this of a simple young man coaxed by his girlfriend saying, come to my place, 
my parents are overseas. The maid is out on her day off. Let us Netflix and chill. And in youth lingo, Netflix and chill means not just Netflix. It's more than that. Or it could be told like a clickbait that appears on your computer screen that hooks you to view porn and offers you non-committal, disembodied sexual immorality. So chapter 7 actually says, Beware of Miss Folly appearing in the flesh or sometimes appearing in disembodied images. Here is the wisdom for the young. Flee sexual immorality. Avoid folly, but listen to wisdom. That is why in the next chapter, in chapter 8, the writer now urges the son and tells him, Son, you're in love? Who do you want to marry? Marry wisdom. And he gives reasons why wisdom is the woman to pursue. Firstly, he tells us, wisdom has only wise words to say. She speaks what is true. She detests wickedness. Her words are just. Her words are truthful. They are not slanted, unlike folly, the adulteress. So slide, Proverbs 8, verses 6 to 8. Listen, for I have worthy things to say. I open my lips to speak what is right. My mouth speaks what is true, for my lips detest wickedness. All the words of my mouth are just. None of them is crooked or perverse. So words that are crooked, words that are perverse, and when you hear those phrases, we must recall the devil. Because the devil, his words are always slanted. His statements are always perverse and crooked. He was the one, after all, who insinuated to Eve that God cannot be trusted. Remember Genesis? He tells, he asks the woman, did God really say you must not eat? And then he suggests to the woman, you surely will not die. Those uttered words are perverse, crooked, slanted. And in the book of Genesis, we see two apparent sources of wisdom, apparent sources of wisdom for Adam and Eve. One source of wisdom is to obey God and trust His wisdom. The other source of wisdom is the one that was given by the devil as an alternative. Wisdom, the devil says, is not derived from God, but it is derived from creation. It is not derived from the Creator, but it is derived from creation. It is found in the fruit of the knowledge of, the, of good and evil. That is the devil's contra-proposal. God cannot be trusted. And so he tells the man and the woman, you want wisdom? You can gain it, not from the Creator, but from creation. But we all know that the wisdom that is gained from creation, the wisdom of the world, is foolishness compared to the wisdom of God. See, the world continues its never-ending search for better living, for longevity, for longer life, for meaningful life, for happier life. 
It used to be you are happy if you accumulate a lot of things. Nowadays, it's you will be happy if you have less things. So they keep changing. The world will never end in its pursuit for better living, for longer life, for meaningful life. But such pursuits all amount to not much compared to God's wisdom. God's wisdom is priceless. It is more precious than rubies. It is better than fine gold. So look at Proverbs 8, verse 10. Choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Moreover, God's wisdom is not recently discovered wisdom. Next slide. The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works before his deeds of old. I was appointed from eternity, from beginning, before the world began. So the, what does one do with new findings? You know, let's say you have a new finding or we read of a new finding. What does one do with new discoveries? Well, you and I do not embrace them immediately. This explains why many people are hesitant to take newly developed vaccines. See, wisdom of the world keeps evolving. They aim to keep to date, and they aim to always get better. But newer is not always better. God's wisdom is from old. God's wisdom, in fact, is from eternity. It is the first of His works from eternity, from the beginning. So I just read the news, and they say that astronomers recently detected strange radio signals coming from another galaxy that is nearly 3 billion light years away. That's what they say. So is it a supernova explosion? No one knows yet. They cannot tell what it is. They have yet to understand it. And so here we have a recently discovered information, but yet to be understood. Whereas in contrast, God's understanding, God's wisdom is not recently discovered. Rather, it is eternal. It's been there. God's wisdom is way, way old, but not old as in outdated or not old in contrast to updated but old in contrast to new, unreliable, unstable, and buggy. God's wisdom is way old, stable, and needs no update. It doesn't need a 2.0. In fact, it is eternal. And by wisdom, He created the world, and wisdom was there with Him. Wisdom was the craftsman at God's side, and so God knows everything about the radio signal that the astronomers picked up, which we all have yet to understand. That is why you and I can always count on God's wisdom. It is stable, it is old, and it needs no update. And yet, the wisdom spoken here is not wisdom that equates to mere knowledge. Wisdom God gives us here in Proverbs is rather a wisdom that has the fear of the Lord for its foundation. It has the fear of the Lord for its purpose. That is why the phrase, the fear of the Lord, 
appears several times in Proverbs. Next slide. For instance, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And so we see that the wisdom Proverbs spouses can simply be summarized to this. Trust God and not yourself. This is wisdom. Trust God and not yourself. Fear the Lord and obey Him. This is wisdom. See, when people refuse to trust God, when people refuse to obey God's word, when people refuse to uh, uh, heed God's wisdom, they end up doing what is right in their own eyes. And so that began with Eve and Adam, didn't it? Her eyes told her that the fruit looked good, that it was pleasing. It was desirable for gaining wisdom. And so when we refuse to trust God, we will begin to listen to ourselves. What we will do is right in our own eyes. And then when we get to the book of Judges, we see the constant refrain explaining the chaos. Why was there chaos? Because everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone did as they saw fit and so reaped destruction. And so how we need God's wisdom, how we need to fear Him and trust Him and not ourselves. And to further persuade the young man to chase uh, wisdom or to pursue wisdom and avoid folly, the writer now shows how marriage with wisdom looks like and also how it pans out with folly. And so how does marriage with wisdom look like? Well, in the home of wisdom, he tells us, there will always be food to eat. Food that is prepared lovingly. There is wine to drink too, all nicely set on a table. The result of Miss Wisdom's labor of love for her husband. Slide. Proverbs 9, verses 1 to 6. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table, and she has sent out her maids, and she calls from the highest point of the city, Let all who are simple come in here, she says to those who lack judgment. Come, eat my food, and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways, and you will live. Walk in the way of understanding. So this is miswisdom and what it is like if you marry her. Your home will be filled with food. There will be good wine to drink. And she will always invite people to come over and gain wisdom. But contrast it with the life of cohabiting with folly. Not marriage, but cohabiting. Sexual immorality with folly. Next slide. The woman folly is loud. She is undisciplined and without knowledge. She sits at the door of her house. Notice she's not working. Huh? She's just sitting down. On a seat at the highest point of the city, 
calling out to those who pass by. She also calls out, calling out to those who go straight on their way. Let all who are simple come in here, she says to those who lack judgment. And then, what was the wisdom that we can gain from her? No, it's not wisdom, because she says, stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of the grave. So what's an affair like with Miss Folly? Miss Folly, we do not see her working, right? In fact, she is loud, blah, 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 blah. She keeps yucking the, away and never putting her hands to work. She always sits. And then her food, she does not prepare any. She steals them instead. She probably scams the food panda guy. Because she says stolen water is sweet. Anything eaten in secret is delicious. Here again is an insinuation to adultery. Stolen, secret, that is good, that is sweet. And so friends, that is the life lived with Miss Folly. The writer warns all young men. Listening to Folly is an invitation to death because all her guests are in the depths of the grave. So is your life currently lived with folly? Is your life a description of cohabiting with folly? Leave her while you can, the Proverbs writer tells us, because wisdom is still calling out to you, waiting for you, and inviting you to come and listen to her. So a few years ago, I read a book written by a woman who uh, foolishly got into an affair with a married man. And for a long time, she was the other woman. She has since wisened up and finally, thankfully, left the man. And so she wrote the book entitled, Being the Other Woman, Who We Are and What Every Woman Should Know About Us and How to Avoid Us. And she wrote the book to warn other women of the foolishness of adultery. So how does she describe adultery? She writes, I saw that when a normal couple begins dating, there is the slow process of getting to know one another. There is no unnatural pressure on them. They are able to easily find out what they like and dislike without heavy consequences. In our affair, however, everything occurred at warp speed. Choices had heavier weights in our affair. Things happened very slowly, referring to how the adultery began, and very fast at the same time. The beginning of an affair feels beautiful, but the development can be full of rough patches, and the end is hell, no matter what kind of married guy you have got. End of quote. So what is she saying here? She echoes folly in chapter 9 doesn't she? Stolen water is sweet. 
It's fast, warp speed. It skips the need to dig a well in order to get your own water. It mocks the labor of love that Lady Wisdom offers in the kitchen, in the dining room, in the home. Stolen is fast and sweet, but the end is hell. The writer says, the dead are there and her guests are in the depths of the grave. So that is how life is with illicit affairs. That is how life is with folly, the other woman. And that is why the writer of Proverbs urges his son and us. And he says, marry wisdom. Avoid folly because wisdom is priceless. She is wise. She is all about the fear of the Lord. You find life with her. Listen to her. But do not listen to folly. She is cheap. She is a cheat. And you'll only find death with her. And so when you read these three chapters of Proverbs in one go, you will realize that it is actually a tale of two unions. It's a tale of two unions. One is a faithful marriage with wisdom, and the other, an adulterous fling with folly. Which one describes your relationship? Which union describes yours? You know, we live in a world where there are many voices that compete for our attention and for our obedience. Many, many voices, but actually you can narrow it down to only two, the voices of wisdom and the voices of folly. Both are crying out to us who are simple, but why is it that one voice always sounds more alluring, always sounds more sensible, while the other distasteful, outdated, impractical? Why is it that one sounds ruthless while the other sounds compassionate? So going back to the woman who wrote the book, Being the Other Woman, she writes, and I quote, I went to church to soothe my empty soul. And while I was waiting for my children's Sunday school class to end, See, one can teach Sunday school and yet live a double life. She writes, one of the assistant pastors approached me. My misery was probably transparent to him. He asked me if I was all right. I suddenly confessed that I had been having an affair with a married man for over a year. He suggested a counseling session with a minister. I agreed. When I met with the church counselor, it filled Blake. That's the name of the married man. It filled Blake with anxiety. He was afraid that the minister would persuade me to end our relationship and give me the strength that I needed to walk away. The minister I met with seemed to be a very angry man. <laughs> I had just begun telling him my story when he interrupted and started with what appeared to be his own agenda. He doesn't love you, the minister said, in a snide voice. He doesn't love his wife either. The minister said, the only person he loves is himself. 
well, this seemed to be a pretty bold judgment of someone he had never met. He refused to hear about Blake's struggles. And as a result, instead of feeling any need to repent, I felt more protective of Blake. Blake loved me. I did not doubt that. He also had love for Beth, his wife. The one he didn't love at all was himself, I decided. I left that church that afternoon and have never been back since. And I drove to Blake's house where he had been waiting for me, holding his breath. And I told him my counseling session was a waste of time and that the man had angered me. Blake sighed relief so hugely that I could see his muscles loosen as he dropped to the couch. We spent that afternoon comforting one another, and I felt all the more love for Blake because he would have been hurt by the churchmen if he knew what he had said about him. I felt sorry for him as if, as if he had heard it. All I wanted was to shower him with affection, end of quote. Why does wisdom that the angry minister gave sound ruthless, impractical, and even compassionless. Why? Because that is folly. That's the characteristic of folly. Because the natural man will not understand spiritual things. The natural man is never inclined to heed God's wisdom. In our fallenness, we are attracted to the world's wisdom. In our fallenness, we need God to change our hearts, to renew our minds, so that we may fear the Lord and heed wisdom. And the Lord changes our hearts through the work of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the wise Son of God. In fact, the Bible tells us He is the wisdom of God. He obeyed God fully. He trusted the Father's will and not his own will. He listened to God and not listened to himself. And so he went to the cross to die for our sins and purchase for us salvation that we may live new lives for him. Lives that no longer find God's wisdom insulting, lives that no longer find God's wisdom impractical or even distasteful, but lives that trust God, not ourselves, nor other voices that compete against God's. For this is wisdom. And so, come, eat wisdom's food. Drink the wine she has mixed. Leave your simple ways, and you will live. Walk in the way of understanding. You know how the book of Proverbs ends? Well, it ends with one of the most loved proverbial descriptions of a noble wife. I bet you all know that. Proverbs chapter 31, verses 11 till the end. 21 verses that women love to read and men who are looking for a wife love to read. And we read it and we think that, some read it as thinking that it is a checklist for which kind of woman to marry. Some read it as it's a description of a superwoman who does everything. But if we read it from the perspective of a marital advice that the writer gives to the young, then the message of the poem 
in Proverbs 31 is actually this. Marry wisdom, and this is the life that you will have. Wisdom will make sure that you have everything you need. Wisdom will not harm you. Wisdom will bring you good all the days of your life. Wisdom is generous. Wisdom will earn you praise and respect. Wisdom is beautiful, not necessarily on the outside, but on the inside. And wisdom will cause you to fear and praise the Lord. So there are two voices calling out to you, regardless which season of life you are in. It doesn't stop only at the season of youth. Whose voice will you listen to? I pray that you will hear the voice of wisdom calling out to you because it leads you to the fear and obedience of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we pray and we ask that whenever the voices out there battle for our attention, inviting us to taste the easy, the pleasurable, seemingly wise counsel in the ways of the world, we pray, O Lord, for us to ignore that voice. But may we run to Jesus, the wisdom of God. May we trust you, obey your word, love you, honor you. May we find wisdom in the study of your word so that we will not walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But our delight is only in you and in your word, ever trusting it, obeying it, for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.